This is the Notable Speeches Podcast, today featuring an address titled The Future of the American Man by U.S. Senator Josh Hawley, Republican of Missouri. He spoke at the recent National Conservatism Conference in Orlando, Florida. In his remarks, Senator Hawley criticized the American left for often characterizing masculinity as toxic. He said progressives want to define the traditional masculine virtues, such as courage, independence, and assertiveness, as a danger to society. Such virtues, the senator argued, should instead be recognized as vital to self-government and political liberty. And he said that America needs men who will shoulder responsibility, enter the covenant of marriage and honor it, and start and provide for families. Josh Hawley is a Missouri native growing up in the Kansas City area, and he is a 2006 graduate of Yale Law School. He later served as an attorney with the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty and also as Missouri's Attorney General. In 2018, Missouri voters elected him to the U.S. Senate. A word about the National Conservatism Conference at which Senator Hawley spoke. The conference is a project of the Edmund Burke Foundation, named after the 18th century British statesman. The foundation is a public affairs institute founded in 2019 to strengthen the principles of national conservatism in Western and other democratic countries. The chairman of the Edmund Burke Foundation is Israeli philosopher and political theorist Yoram Hazoni. You'll hear him mentioned in Senator Hawley's opening remarks. Here is Senator Josh Hawley speaking October 31st at the Hilton Orlando in Florida. It's a a pleasure to be back. I had the honor, as some of you will remember, speaking at the inaugural National Conservatism Conference two years ago. After that speech, the press said that I was a racist, a fascist, and a Nazi, if memory serves. So when Yoram invited me to come back this year, I said, what's to lose? I mean, how could he say no? It's uh, Halloween today. Happy Halloween. My two small children at home, I've got two little boys and then an 11-month-old girl, but my two little boys have been trying to convince me all week to come trick-or-treating with them, and I've been trying to figure out, how would you explain a grown man going door-to-door, scaring parents, and then threatening to retaliate if they don't do as they're told? And then it came to me, I'll just go as Merrick Garland. (laughs) When I was here two years ago, I spoke about the left's ambition to create a world beyond belonging, a place where community and shared culture, our culture, counts for little. Tonight I want to talk to you about another aspect of the left's attempt to fundamentally remake America. I want to talk to you about the left's attempt to give us a world beyond men. We meet at a time of reckoning. As we speak, the left control the commanding heights of American society. They have the White House, the House of Representatives, the Senate. Their voices predominate in the news media, in Hollywood, arguably sports, and of course in our universities. This is their hour, and they're determined to use it. Look, the left know what they believe. They believe that the United States of America is a systemically racist, structurally oppressive, hopelessly patriarchal kind of place. And they say it at every opportunity that they get. It's a dystopia, really, on their view, if only Americans would get woke enough to see it for what it really is. Their message is 
This nation needs to be taught how unjust it is to begin with and then completely remade from top to bottom. That's the leftist project. That's their grand ambition, to deconstruct the United States of America. This work of deconstruction is what unites today's left and draws together all of their various projects, from critical race theory to their economic socialism to their bizarre war on women's sports. But what I want you to notice, what I want to call out tonight, is that the deconstruction of America begins with and depends on the deconstruction of American men. The left want to define traditional masculinity as toxic. They want to define the traditional masculine virtues, things like courage and independence and assertiveness as a danger to society. This is an effort that the left has been at for years now, and they have had alarming success. American men are working less. They're getting married in fewer numbers. They're fathering fewer children. They're suffering more anxiety and depression. They're engaging in more substance abuse. Many men in this country are in crisis, and their ranks are swelling. And that's not just a crisis for men. That's a crisis for the American Republic. Because the problem with the left's assault on the masculine virtues is that those self-same qualities, the very ones that the left now vilify as toxic and dangerous, have long been regarded as vital to self-government. Observers from the ancient Romans to our forefathers identified the manly virtues as indispensable to political liberty. Now, maybe they were wrong, and today's left is right. Maybe virtue isn't needed for liberty. Or maybe the only virtues that really matter are the modern liberal ones of tolerance and compliance and, I suppose, consumption. Maybe the only thing you need to be a good citizen, after all, is to be a good consumer. But it doesn't look that way. It's hard to argue that our democracy is in better shape now than it was 30 or 40 years ago. It's hard to believe that our liberty now is more secure. It's hard to accept that the pathologies gripping so many American men are good for American society. I'd argue just the opposite. Now, this is not to say that American women aren't central to this story. Far from it. American women have shaped our culture every bit as much as men, and their virtues are every bit as necessary to the success of our republic. And given that, as you might expect, the left has launched its own assault on womanhood, and in fact, on the very idea of gender. I notice that many of my Democrat colleagues in the Senate these days won't even say the word mother. Has anybody else noticed this? Birthing person is apparently the term of choice. You'd laugh, but it's absolutely true. It's as if women don't exist. And left-wing advocates across the country are busy trying to destroy women's sports, as if men and women are completely interchangeable. All of that, too, is part of the left's deconstructionist agenda. But I want to focus tonight on the deconstruction of men, not because I think men are more important, but because I believe the attack on men has been the tip of the spear in the left's broader attack on America. And because this attack, the attack on men, is already far advanced. But even as I describe the danger, there is cause for hope.
For while the left's assault on manhood has been sharp and prolonged, it has not yet succeeded. And we must make it our business as conservatives to see that it does not succeed. More than that, we must seek a revival of strong and healthy manhood in America. We need men who will shoulder responsibility, men who will start and provide for families, men who will enter the covenant of marriage and then honor it. We need men to raise up sons and daughters after them, to pass on the great truths of our history and our culture, to defend liberty, to share in the noble work of self-government. We need the kind of men who make republics possible. And it's not too much to say that our ability to get those kinds of men, those kinds of citizens, will determine the success of our long experiment in liberty. Let me just start by pressing home this point to you, that the left's attack on America leads directly to an attack on men. For years now, Democrats and other leftists have insisted that America is systemically oppressive and unjust. They've said it so much and so often to them, it's a truism. It's the very cornerstone of their worldview. Just listen to the President of the United States. Joe Biden has, as president, repeatedly decried America's systemic racism. His administration has loudly called for a new gender equity agenda to right the structural injustices of our society. His nominees have advocated critical race theory and training in equity for federal workers. This past week, the administration celebrated the introduction of an ex-gender marker on American passports. Did you see this? X meaning neither male nor female, just so you're keeping up. All of this points, all of this points to how important the deconstructionist agenda is for Team Biden and for the American left. I mean, you think about it. Inflation may be rampant. Store shelves are bare. It costs 100 bucks to fill up a minivan in America. But the administration will not be deterred from focusing on the important issues. They are laser focused on exposing just how bad America is. That's their top priority. Other prominent liberals have taken this the next step and identified America's many alleged woes with men in particular. Take Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. White supremacy and patriarchy are linked in a lot of ways, she says, meaning that America's systemic racism is a systemic problem with men. Author John Stoltenberg writes that talking about healthy masculinity is like talking about healthy cancer. Professor Susanna Walters of Northeastern University says it seems logical to hate men unless they pledge to vote for feminist women only and don't run for office. Now, this line of thinking, I have to tell you, it's hardly new. As I'm sure you know, the critical theory of deconstruction runs back to mid-century intellectuals like Jacques Derrida and Herbert Marcuse and farther back to the Frankfurt School of the 1930s and back farther still to Marx. Nor is it new to blame men for society's ills. You know, Marcuse is particularly interesting in this regard. He was one of the leading lights of the 1960s counterculture. And he thought that Marx was right to call Western society oppressive but wrong to see that that oppression was principally economic. That was Marx's mistake. No, the really oppressive thing about American society, according to Marcuse, was culture. 
And while Marx pinned his hopes on the working class, the proletariat, working class men really in particular, Marcuse saw those same men as the problem. They were too culturally conservative, too hidebound, too traditional. Now Marcuse concluded that the revolution would only come from the well-educated elite who could see beyond mirages like gender and manhood, which brings us back to today's American left. They have swallowed that theory whole, and they are repeating it from every platform where they have power, which is just about everywhere. University curricula abound with seminars on masculinity and its defects. To take just one example of the kind of thing that's on offer, consider Professor David Cohen of the Drexel Klein School of Law. Traditional masculinity, he says, has oppressed girls and women and limited the identity construction of all boys and men. Seminar at Williams College, which is called Performing Masculinity in Global Popular Culture, asks, why must masculinity be the purview of males at all? It's an important question. <laughs> Answering that, by the way, will cost you $75,000 a year. You know, even our military academies are in on the act. West Point reportedly held mandatory events last year addressing gender norms, including toxic masculinity. One cadet said afterward, I'm being taught how not to be a man. And men are getting the message. They are leaving higher education in record numbers. I suspect you've seen the Wall Street Journal's recent reporting on this, just this issue. Women now make up 60% of college students, men 40%. Experts predict a two-to-one ratio soon, sped along by the pandemic. But the message of toxic masculinity is not only in the academy, it's also in our grade schools where boys are increasingly treated like an illness in search of a cure. If boys are too rambunctious, they're diagnosed with hyperactivity disorder and medicated into submission. Hollywood delivers the toxic masculinity theme ad nauseum in television and film. Our expert class amplifies it. The American Psychological Association now advises the following that conforming to traditional masculinity ideology, there's a mouthful, has been shown to limit male's psychological development and negatively influence mental health and physical health. Manhood, it seems, is a disease to be defeated. The left delivers the same message in the press, through the giant corporations, and through advertising. Gillette infamously ran an ad campaign for its razors back in 2019 that included this voiceover, bullying, Me Too movement against sexual harassment, toxic masculinity, is this the best a man can get? And the left is writing this same men are the problem mantra into our policy. Working class men have been a particular target of this administration. President Biden's illegal vaccine mandate on private citizens and it is illegal, put millions of working class men squarely in the crosshairs. Shut up, get the jab, or get lost. That was the message. Now, never mind that those are the very same people hailed as essential workers not 12 months ago. Not anymore. Now they're expendable. Now they're the problem. But the left has been pursuing its attack on men through policy for longer than the last year, and sometimes they've done it with the help of Republicans. Over the last 30 years and more, government policy has helped destroy 
the kind of economy that gave meaning to generations of men. Domestic manufacturing once supported millions of American men with good wages, who in turn started and supported families. Now that industry lies all but dead on what? The altar of globalism. At the same time, advancing consolidation has made it almost impossible for family farmers to compete against multinational firms. And the result is fewer and fewer men working. And by the way, I don't mean the elderly or the disabled. I'm talking about prime-aged, able-bodied men. Since 1965, the number of adult men between the ages of 20 and 64 not working, not even looking for work, but completely and totally out of the labor force, has quintupled, going from 3 million in the middle 1960s to more than 16 million in 2015. And the less men work, the less they marry. Marriage rates are plummeting. And the age of first marriage continues to rise as men push commitment off further and further into the future. By 2010, a majority of men in this country between 25 and 34 had never married. And that trend has accelerated in the years since then. Fewer marriages means fewer fathers in the home by 2020. Over 18 million American children lived without a father present. If you're keeping track, that's more than a quarter of all children in America. And I probably don't need to remind you that an absent father is strongly correlated with increased childhood poverty, childhood depression, and poor academic performance. Now, I'm not here tonight to tell you that men are victims. The last thing that we need more of in the United States today is the victim mindset. Men who blame others. <laughs> men who blame others for their problems and then slink away to do nothing or worse, who embrace violence or cruelty deserve rebuke. Responsibility is one of God's greatest gifts to mankind and men must be held responsible for their choices and their actions and for their lives. But let me ask this, can we be surprised that after years of being told that they are the problem, that their manhood is the problem, more and more men are withdrawing into the enclave of idleness and pornography and video games? I found the comment by one young man to a Wall Street Journal reporter particularly evocative and particularly heartbreaking. He said, I'm sort of waiting for a light to come on so I can figure out what to do next. I suspect that he speaks for many. And while the left may celebrate this decline of men, I for one can't join them. And really nobody should. The crisis of American men is a crisis for the American Republic. It's not just that millions of men out of work slows our innovation and our economic growth. It's not just the billions of dollars in welfare payments these idle men cost the federal fisc year on year. It's not only the depression and the darkness that now shadow so many. It's that liberty requires virtue. And in particular, it requires the manly virtues. America needs good men.
Here's why. The liberty of a republic is a demanding thing. To keep a republic, you have to be willing to fight for it. To share in self-government, you have to be willing to stand up for what you believe. To preserve liberty, you have to discipline your passions and sacrifice in the service of others. And that's why for centuries, lovers of liberty have praised those qualities as the highest standards of manhood. That's not to say women don't possess them, but it is to say that those virtues are the bright side of the aggression and competitiveness and independence that psychologists, no less than philosophers, have long observed in men. Assertiveness and independence are strengths when they are used to protect and empower others. That is the long testament of the Republican tradition. And if you want a modern-day example, you don't have to look far. Just look at the recent report of those dads in Southwood High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. Did you see this on the news this last week? It's a great story. These are the ones about 40 dads at a school that was riven by violence and fighting and disorder. So what did they do? 40 dads got together and they said, you know what? We can do something about this. So they just showed up. They got t-shirts that said dads on duty and they just went to the school and they just showed up. And do you know what happened after they got there? Fighting stopped. Order restored. Chaos calmed. CBS News, I think it was, came and interviewed the dads and then also interviewed some students and one of the students said to a reporter, dads have the power to do that. She was right about that. And every republic needs those kind of dads and needs those kind of men. So the question is, how are we going to get them today? Well, let me make one suggestion. We can start by repudiating the lie that America is systemically oppressive and men are systemically responsible. That is a fantasy, it is a folly, it is a falsehood, and we should call it out for what it is. America, America may be an imperfect place, but it is the most noble experiment in liberty the world has ever seen, for poor and for rich alike, for men and for women, for black and for white. And though we have struggled to live up to our ideals, and we have failed, and we have gotten up to struggle again, there's honor in the struggle. And we are still, even now, the last best hope on earth. And we must tell the men of this nation that their struggle too is noble and that they are needed. So to the men, I say this, you can be a tremendous force for good. Your nation needs you. The world needs you. Your strength can liberate others. Your power can serve those in need. Your creativity can light new paths. Your courage can defend the weak. Your faithfulness can raise up sons and daughters after you and make their way straight. You can make this a more perfect nation. We must say this to the men of our society from the time they are small and teach it to them in our classrooms and in our homes and in our churches. And we must do more. We must rebuild an economy in this country in which men can thrive. And that means rebuilding those manufacturing and production sectors that so much of the chattering class has written off as relics of the past. In this country, in this country, we are more than mere consumers. We have been the makers of great and mighty things, and we will be again. 
The DC experts will say it's impossible. Believe me, they say it to me all the time. They say it's better to outsource our production to places like China or Mexico or any place that labor is cheap and plentiful. Ideally places where workers are hardly paid at all. But here's the thing. Free labor and slave labor should never be put on an even plane. And it is free labor that we want in this country. It is free labor that we want to reward. It is free labor we seek to protect. Theodore Roosevelt, boyhood hero of mine, once said, I am for business, but I am for manhood first. And I am for business as an adjunct to manhood. That was pretty good in 1905, still true today. So we must make every effort to restore a vibrant manufacturing sector in this country that can employ working men at living wages. I'm talking about wages that can feed a family and support a community. And we can start by requiring that at least half of all goods and supplies that are critical to our national security, at least half, be made right here in the United States of America. It's common sense, it's doable, and we should do it. Now, speaking of communities, those begin with the family. And we should make the family the center of political life. You know, we ought to be clear in the message that we send about the family, and we ought to be unapologetic about it. There is no higher calling and no greater duty than raising a family, and we should encourage every single American man to pursue it. Without apology. So to that end, I believe the time has come for explicit rewards in the tax code for marriage. Forget the marriage penalty. There should be a marriage bonus. And we ought to allow parents of young children, we ought to allow parents of young children to keep more of their tax dollars as well. Above all, we've got to lift up a vision of what's possible in the United States of America. Can you imagine the potential of 16 million American men returning to work? Can you imagine what that would do for our country? Can you imagine the struggling communities and families that right now labor under the burden of poverty that would be lifted out of that if those 16 million men decided to go and get a job and start supporting their families and start supporting their children and start co contributing to their communities? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen if fathers returned to their children and supported the women they love? Do you think that what that might mean? Think about the teenagers who would be spared from gangs and violence. Think about the depression and anxiety and loneliness and suicides that would be avoided. Think about the wives free to pursue their dreams. Think about the power of the joy and creativity that healthy families radiate. Think about that released into our communities times a thousand, times a hundred thousand, times a million. It would change this country. That's the kind of thing that can happen. That's the kind of vision we should be working for. That's the kind of change that we should be pursuing. And so here's what I suggest. While the left tells America and its men that they are contemptible, we ought to be giving them a different theme. And our theme should go like this. America is yet that city on a hill, and the eyes of the world are yet upon us, looking to us for hope. American men are and can be an unrivaled force for good in the world if we will strengthen them, if we will challenge them, if we will empower them to be who they were made to be. Then we shall, in the words of Scripture, build up the ancient ruins, raise up the former desolations, repair the ruined cities, and the devastations of many generations.
Thanks so much for having me here tonight. God bless you. God bless America. Good night. U.S. Senator Josh Hawley, last month at the National Conservatism Conference in Orlando, Florida. The Edmund Burke Foundation has held national conservatism conferences not only in the U.S., but also in the United Kingdom and in Italy. You can follow the Notable Speeches podcast on Parler and Twitter at Notable Speeches. If you have a question or a comment, you can email us feedback at notablespeeches.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Joseph Slife.